I'm Anne-Marie McQueen, editor of Live Healthy, and this is the Live Healthy Podcast. Each week we interview health and wellness leaders and talk about all the things that are good for you, which you can also read about in our online magazine, the only one of its kind for men and women in the UAE. And now, here's this week's guest. Hi, Ali. How are you doing? Good. How are you? I'm very good. Okay, this is exciting. I wanted to talk to you because we've been hearing right, left, and center about these weight loss drugs that you inject yourself, mm-hmm. Ozempic, etc. And then I saw the press release about what you're doing at Zone Health, and I see that you're you're doing those drugs, but you're doing them combined with a whole bunch of other things. You're driving them with your 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 platform, metabolic. We've already heard about you with Glue Care Health. So I just kind of wanted you to talk about, first off, what you're doing with your new venture zone health, using these drugs, and then everything else. Sure. So um, zone health is very simply a medicated weight loss program. And it's targeted at folks that are non-diabetic. So the eligibility criteria, people who have a BMI body mass index of over 30, or folks who have a BMI over 27, but that also have at least one comorbidity. So either they're pre-diabetic or they have cardiovascular issues or high cholesterol. That gives you, strictly speaking, eligibility for the drugs themselves. But Zone also is able to support patients who may not be eligible for the medicated pathway with a non-medicated sort of behavioral therapy approach to, to weight loss as well. So, you know, we can, we can, we can help anybody who's, who's been struggling with, with not just losing weight, but keeping it off. I think losing weight is kind of the easy part, uh, kind of sometimes, but keeping it off after you've done the heavy lifting or losing it is impossible for a lot of folks, myself included. Okay. So you lost weight using this. So walk us through how that happened, how you realized you needed to lose the weight and then how it actually all came together for you to lose the weight. Well, how, how I realized was I just looked in the mirror every day. <laughs> that, was kind of, that was kind of it. But I mean, look, when I was when I was young, like you know, when I was in medical school, I probably spent more time in the gym than I did in my books. Uh, you know, I was super fit, probably a, you know, body fat percentage of less than ten percent, extremely fit. Um, and, uh, you know, life moves you in different directions. I moved to Dubai, became a professional, heavy, heavy work-life imbalance. Um, you get married, you have kids, that brings its own new set of challenges. And, you know, the six-pack became sort of barely a one-pack, I guess. <laughs> um, but, that, but that evolved over a long period of time. And you kind of don't see that, right? It just happens slowly. And then one day you're like, wow, I am not the same person I used to be. And it's just... It's just a fact of life. The trigger for me wasn't that I had gained a bunch of weight. Um, The trigger for me was that I became pre-diabetic. Ironically, in the middle of opening a diabetes center. So as a lot of listeners might already know, my co-founder and I built what is now the world's most advanced diabetes center called Glucare, glucare.health here in Dubai. And in the middle of opening that, 
my wife and I both became pre-diabetic at the same time. This is middle of COVID. So this was May of 2021. And we have a lab here. So I draw my blood and test myself all the time. And I caught it as soon as, as soon as my fasting blood sugar basically passed the threshold. Now, my grandfather died of complications related to diabetes. He was a poorly controlled diabetic for many years. My co-founder, Dr. Hassan, his father is a diabetic. And so both of us, you know, this is a very personal thing. So for me, the, the motivation wasn't actually initially to lose weight, but it was a delightful byproduct of the journey of, of getting myself back to metabolic health. Do you have an idea of what pushed you from overweight over to pre-diabetic? Like, was there a trigger? Was there a, a lack of activity? Like, just for people wondering what the difference is between being slightly heavy and then that, that different step. Yeah, so I was I was one of those guys that, you know, was heavier than I should be, but I carried it well. And I still played soccer twice a week, football, depending on what part of the world you live in. <laughs> um, that that heaviness didn't serve me well on the soccer pitch, not only in terms of how I perform, but I also en- underwent two major surgeries because of the weight. I mean, I ruptured my ACL. That's partially a byproduct of my, you know, center of mass imbalance and 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 so on. So I was active and I think the pre-diabetes was a manifestation of my underlying genetics, mm-hmm. right? My grandfather was, di- was pre was diabetic, but it happened during COVID and I'm willing to bet anything that there is this tsunami of metabolic disease that we as healthcare professionals haven't even seen yet because during COVID, all of us, we're doing less activity than we normally were. We were we were just stuffing our faces out of mm-hmm. boredom. We were eating poor quality foods because many of us started to rely on the delivery companies to feed us. And so I think there was a confluence of a lot of factors. It was almost like this perfect storm. We were stressed. Also stress? And we're stressed. Yeah. I mean, wow, what a what a crazy period of time. What a dysfunctional period of time. And I think all of us have have suffered mm-hmm. in a lot of different ways, but metabolic dysfunction has probably touched everyone in some way, but most folks probably don't know it yet. So one of the things that we do as part of our diabetic practice at GlueCare is we actually send medical teams to a bunch of companies to just do screenings. You know, So we go there and we set up shop with our blood testing machine and so on, doctor and nurse goes out and we just screen everybody. It's shocking the amount of prediabetes that we're seeing. I mean, obesity, you can see it when you look at somebody. Mm-hmm. But prediabetes, you don't see it. And oftentimes, that person is not even yet that obese, sometimes not obese at all. My wife, who is you know, this thin, was not overweight at all, was prediabetic at the same time as me. Wow. I'll get, I'll get into that story. Yeah, once okay. we get into the zone, the zone customer experience and the journey, actually, the the difference in my journey versus my wife's journey, we both totally reversed our prediabetes in 90 days. For me, it also came with a weight loss outcome because I was taking Ozempic. Mm-hmm. And Ozempic is an extraordinarily powerful drug. My wife was not taking Ozempic, but we both reversed our prediabetes. Okay. And, 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 and in different ways. Okay. Just before so, we get so into the that. Zone, 
Yeah, so Zone was actually built over the last year and a half on the back of my own experience as a patient. And then subsequent to my own experience, we've treated a couple hundred patients in their own version of a weight loss journey. And all of that wisdom that we've captured over these you know, a couple of years have now been sort of formulated into um, a medicated weight loss program, which is now called Zone Health. Okay. So you were like, both me and my wife, she's slim, I've gained weight, but we need to do a sort of 360 approach to like figuring this yeah. out. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I'm seeing this, you know, one of the explosions on social media you're seeing are glucose goddess, pre-diabetes nutritionists, like these people are all springing up, but it's like pitchy and patchy, you know, it's like they have the solution and they have the solution. Can it, just before we get into how that came about, I just wanted to get you to explain the difference between insulin resistance over into pre-diabetes, because that's sort of an interesting, like I'm hearing so many people are insulin resistant, but they're not yet pre-diabetic. So yeah. Yeah. So uh, the short answer is even the body of medical knowledge is evolving very rapidly on a lot of these dimensions. And there's a lot of good content out there in social media, and there's a lot of less good content out there. And it's hard for, it's hard for the common person who's not medically trained to be able to discern between those, right? When we think about, strictly speaking, the definition of prediabetes, that follows from a certain set of international standards. So the American Diabetes Association will say, you have to do a hemoglobin A1C test. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a couple of ways to kind of determine whether someone's prediabetic. One is based on HbA1c, hemoglobin A1c. And to put it in simple terms, it's like measuring your average saturation of blood, in, of, of sugar in your blood. It's like saying how much sugar is there in a, in a can of Coke, you know, on a volumetric basis, kind of. So you take this blood test and it says, okay, your HbA1c level is below 5.7%. Think of it like as a, as a, as a saturation level, okay? So below 5.7%, you're considered normal in terms of HbA1c. And that's, by the way, an average measure. It's not an instant measure. Right. So if you if you measure heart rate today, right, you do this, you'll know what your heart rate is right now. That's not what the A1C test is. The A1C test is like, what is your what has your average heart rate been over the last three months? Right. So that's, you know, it's it's hard to game it like you can't, you know, eat well for two days and improve your A1C. It's like, you know, it's it's, it's what it's been, you know. So that in some ways that makes it a good measure because it's, it's hard to game it. So below 5.7% is considered normal. Between 5.7 and 6.5 is, is considered pre-diabetic. So that's one of the definitions of pre-diabetes is if your A1C is between these two values. Above 6.5 is considered diabetic. And above 7 is considered poorly controlled diabetic. And if you look at the entire population of diabetics in the UAE, 75% of them are poorly controlled. And that's where really the damage is being done. Um, but yeah, you know, the other definition for prediabetes is, is a more instant test, which is actually how I was diagnosed. Um, so it's a, it's a blood test to look at your fasting blood sugar. So you'll go into the clinic without any food or for at least eight hours. We encourage people also not to have caffeine, but no coffee and tea, water's fine. Uh, and we do a fasting blood sugar. And if that fasting 
blood sugar is over 100, um, you consider that also a marker for prediabetes. Now, insulin resistance is more a description of how well tuned your metabolic system is. So, you know, if there are any motorheads in the audience, you could have, you know, you could have a nice shiny sports car in your garage, but if you haven't taken it to the dealer to get a regular tune-up done on the engine, you can put the best high-octane petrol into that car's engine. It's still not going to run well, right? So insulin resistance, you can think of that as almost the, the, the gradual dysfunction of how your body reacts to the blood sugar that exists, i.e., you know, the metabolism of the food that you eat. And the ultimate endpoint of metabolic dysfunction and insulin resistance can manifest as prediabetes and can then manifest as diabetes. It can also manifest as obesity. So it's all, it's all just different ways of talking about the same thing, which is metabolic dysfunction. And let's be clear here, because I think something that I didn't realize in my life for a long time is that this isn't just diabetes. It isn't prediabetes. This is laying the groundwork for future disease beyond diabetes, right? Like, it's like, I think people still think, oh, I don't want to be diabetic. Like, I don't know that a lot of people make that connection to cardiovascular disease and all the other problems. This is very serious. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> and look, again, this is one of those places where, 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 where the world is still learning. You know, the medical community is still learning. What, you know, back, and I'm not going to date myself, but back when I was uh, in medical school, it was very much siloed, right? No, the, the connection between sleep and everything else hadn't yet really been made. You know, one of my first jobs, you know, after, after I finished my studies was I actually went to work for a sleep diagnostic startup. And this was one of the first startups that was starting to make the connection of how important sleep was. But this was like, this is in the early 2000s. Mm. And now we know how central sleep is to everything else. But it also turns out glucose is central. It also turns out that stress hormones are central. So they're actually all important. Mm -hmm. And that's what makes it so much more challenging because it's not easy to account for all these different variables and all these different moving parts. Mm-hmm. certainly for patients, even for doctors. You know, there's this, there's this way I like to frame it. You know, 100 years ago, maybe slightly more than 100 years ago, surgeons used to cut patients open kind of blind because imaging hadn't yet been invented, right? right? So the x-ray was invented in like 1895. Okay. And then in the 70s, you had the MRI and the CAT scan and ultrasound. And like, so before that happened, doctors used to train with more experienced doctors to learn. And then they would literally cut you open kind of blind because they, they knew, broadly speaking, what the um, normal anatomy looked like, okay? But then some clever person invented the X-ray and the CAT scan and the MRI, and now you have imaging. But imaging is really just new hardware that produced a new form of data. So this was a data revolution in medicine that already has happened. And the whole, the whole profession of radiology, right? The doctor that reads your x-rays, that didn't exist at some point. That emerged only because the data existed that needed to be interpreted. So all my classmates who studied the same stuff I studied, anatomy, physiology, you know, all, all, all those different topics, but who went on to become radiologists, their only job in life 
is actually to interpret data. So that happened already in medicine. There's a new revolution in medicine happening today driven by all of these things, right? All your wearable devices. You know, I've got, sorry, I've got a box. This is not a product placement. They're not paying me. Right? <laughs> I wish they were. You know, Dexcom, like, you know, Abbott, the Freestyle Libre, that's a CGM, right? That produces a, a reading of your blood sugar every five minutes. New form of data. You know, your connected scale, your connected pump, your connected pen, the photos you take of your food, your step count, your sleep count, your heart rate variability. literally. I mean, there are do literally dozens of new digital biomarkers, data that is streaming. The problem is no one's equipped to actually make sense of it, right? We were talking about this before we started, you know, officially the podcast is like, good luck going to your doctor and saying, hey, doc, you know, I know, I know I've been sleeping poorly and my wife tells me I snore and I know I'm snoring because I've gained weight, but I know because I snore, it increases my stress hormone cortisol, which leads me to eat more the next day because I'm hungry, which leads me to gain more weight, which leads me to snore more, which leads to poorer sleep, which is now uh -oh, this like death spiral. Mm -hmm. And that's so common. So let's say you're an educated patient. Like I understand it. I understand that sleep and stress and food and everything's related. So I'm going to go out and I'm going to buy, you know, an Apple watch. I'm going to track my sleep and, and, I, and I do that for three months. But then you go to your doctor and you say, hey, doc, I understand all of this as a patient, but I need your help for the next step. Please help me understand this three months of data that I've gathered from my Apple watch. Can you help me figure out what that actually means and how I can make that useful in my life? The doctor is going to say, listen, I don't know how to do that. I didn't learn that in medical school. And so I have no idea how to interpret this new data. And even if I did, I've got a waiting room full of 20 patients that are waiting to see me. I don't have time to jump into three months of your data with you and sift through all of that. And there's right? no insurance code uh, that I can be Bingo. Hitting, right? To Bingo. That's the, that's the most important one. You hit it, you hit the nail right on the head. Even if I knew how to do it and I had all the time in the world, I'm not getting paid. The insurance companies are not incentivizing me to spend the time with you. And that's a problem. So the data is going everywhere and nowhere. So what we've done as part of Zone and as part of GlueCare is make that data that you are producing much more accessible, not just to you, but also to your care team. So my doctors are also my clients in a way, you know, we had a, we had a really magical experience in the clinic. Um, we were hiring a new cardiologist and, you know, we were, we were interviewing her and I brought in our medical director who was the first doctor and, you know, diabetologist that we hired. And at the end of the interview, he, <laughs> he's this German trained physician. So he's very serious. So you don't know when he's joking and when he's serious sometimes. But he leans into this cardiologist that we're interviewing. He says, listen, you should know that if you uh, accept our offer for employment and you join Blue Care, you will never leave. You will never work anywhere else. And he said it, you know, with a straight face. So she sort of smiled and said, you know, doctor, that's pretty confident of you. What makes you say that? And he finally cracked a smile. He says, look, every day I come to the office, I feel like Superman. The data and the insights that this integrated platform give me 
bestow superhuman abilities on me as a doctor. I'm able to achieve outcomes with my patients that I've never been able to achieve before. And that is addictive. That power to connect with your patients, to engender trust, but more importantly, to use that and manifest it as like real sustainable behavior change. We're changing the way people lead their lives. And we're doing it just 1% better every day. So our outcomes are among the best in the world, right? So that's super powerful. And, and, um, and, it's, and, it, and that's the punchline. It's, it's not actually about the data. The data is out there. It's just not being contextualized and used properly. And, and, we're, and patients are unable to actually integrate that into their lives. So what's zone? Zone, fine. We call it a medicated weight loss program. But what zone really is, it's us holding your hand and walking you through. It's almost like this curated journey through your own data as it's being produced. So actually, this is probably a good time to talk about my own experience. And yeah. juxtapose that against my wife's experience. You want to yeah. throw that picture up? <laughs> okay. Very embarrassing photo. I wonder if I can put it up. How can I do this? Tr trigger alert for people who... Uh, you know, I'm it. not sure I know how to do this, but I can do it. I'll get it. I'll get us to edit it up when we do it. Okay. Okay. That? okay no worries. Um, yeah, perfect. Very yeah, because just just when you're saying this, what I see, I'm, I, you look good in both of them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, what I'm hearing is like I see all these people wearing the ultra humans, and people have the lumens, and they get this information. I hear people talking about their blood sugar spikes, and I don't know that anyone really understands that information. And I feel like people are in a dark forest, <laughs> like a dark, yeah, just like forest. groping around in the dark, yeah, yeah. With a, like a light over here and a light over here. And you go to your doctor, but I feel like you're just like, come, we have, we have pulled it all together, come in and we will yeah. walk you through it. So the most interesting right. thing is that you and your wife, what a great combo, right? Because you have the overweight person, the overweight guy and Thank the you. person who is not overweight. <laughs> you said yeah. it, I didn't say it. Yeah. Um, yeah so you have two people that are pre-diabetic, one you would not think was yeah. pre-diabetic and possibly you, I wouldn't think would be pre-diabetic either because you just, you know, you look healthy and you moved and you, you know, you probably ate pretty well. You're, you're a doctor, you, you know, so just tell me how that all kind of went down. Cause that will help people understand how it works. Yeah, sure. But I think to your point about all these other platforms out there, the ultra humans, the levels, whatever, you know, I think the interesting question is how many of those people that you know that have tried those platforms are actually still on them six months later? You know, are they seeing sustainable value? And, and you know, I think the data is, is, is not great. You know, engagement levels just drop off over time because people are like, okay, I put this CGM on and but then so what? Like, what, what do I do with it, right? It's this hard. is an aside, Ali, but they, they've become like a sort of a status symbol in the wellness and health community. And that bothers me because they're very expensive. And I feel like the, having the patch on your arm is a bit like, you know, and we have a lot of influencers who are promoting them. So that's, that's just one little thing that sort of bothers me because yeah, the average there's certainly person a lot to know. Of, uh, there's certainly a lot of virtue signaling that comes along with it. That's, that's a big part of it. I mean, you know, we're, we're a medical practice at our core, right? So, so we come at it from a totally different angle and we're very outcomes driven. I want to see long-term sustainable behavior change. I don't want to see you lose 10 kilos and then gain it back because that's as damaging as having the weight in the first place. So my wife and I, it's May of 2021. 
And we both, you know, go in for a routine blood test and holy smokes, both of us are pre-diabetic. Now I was overweight and she wasn't. Both of us have a predisposition. Her, my wife's father is diabetic and my grandfather was diabetic. Fine. So we both have the genetics. It's the middle of COVID. It's still quasi lockdown. I mean, we're still not traveling, you know, anywhere, you know. So if we were to have gone to a doctor or a nutritionist or a fitness trainer, anybody, any healthcare professional, and we had told that person, hey, we're husband and wife and we're both pre-diabetic. Tell us what to do next. I would not have faulted any of them for coming to the natural conclusion that we were pre-diabetic for the same reason. In other words, oh, your husband or wife, it's COVID. You're living in the same house. You're eating the same food. You're probably this, you know, same level of non-activity, you know, because no one, you know, we weren't doing sports and stuff. So yeah, obviously you became pre-diabetic at the same time for the same reasons. Mm -hmm. So we're going to treat you the same. And that treatment would have been something like do keto, cut out carbs, you know, some like foreign object, not something normal that you can easily adopt and, and endure with. Usually, whenever you try to lose weight, it's something out of the ordinary that you have to do. You have to cut out certain categories of foods or you have to like go in the extreme and in sort of intermittent fasting. And, and it's because the people giving those recommendations are also blind. They're also blind, as blind as you are, because they're a uh, best guess. You know, it's like, you know, intermittent fasting has worked for this person. So, so everyone's kind of blind here. And, and what we do is we take a giant, like one of those LED flashlights and just shine it on the data. So in, in our case, my wife and I, so I didn't start the medications initially. Okay. I didn't want to. I started wearing a CGM and so did my wife. I think everyone at some point in life should experience the power of the data that comes from a CGM. Even if for a couple of weeks, it's so informative. Not a lot of my colleagues in the medical profession agree with that because the CGM, strictly speaking today, is only indicated for insulin dependent diabetics, but we use it very broadly because it's very powerful. So, my wife, we'll start with her. She found out very quickly that her blood sugar was spiking every single morning after breakfast. Like a lot. It, her blood sugar was fine at night, but she'd have breakfast and boom. So obviously we're like, well, what are you having for breakfast? So she was eating religiously every morning, all bran, you know, the fiber cereal, with in oat milk. Oh, thinking, no. <laughs> thinking... That's super healthy and a great way to start my day, right? It never gave another thought to, to that potentially not being a healthy meal. But it was absolutely spiking her blood sugar every single day. And so we very quickly identified one of the core reasons why her blood sugar was out of control. And it was primarily for, you know, how she was starting her day. My experience was totally different. In other words, my journey to becoming pre-diabetic was happening the night before. My blood sugar was consistently high all night, which meant that my insulin levels were high all night, which meant that my body was just storing fat all night long. So I had to look at what I was eating the night before. And that was a journey of discovery, the timing of what I'm eating, the composition of what I'm eating and, and so on. So, you know, I'm 
culturally Iranian. And one of the foods that we like to eat is this meal called cello kebab, which is basically a mountain of rice, two skewers of meat, and a, a serving of, of vegetables. And actually, if you think about it, it's a well-composed meal. You've got carbs, fat, and protein, and you've got your fiber. It's actually you know, a fairly good, diver diverse, balanced meal. I started to mess around with the foods. And you can only do this if you're exploring the data mm -hmm. in a certain certain way. So I ate, for example, one day I would just eat the rice. And man, as expected, my blood sugar just boom, right through the roof. Next day, I would eat the whole meal as a composition. And wow, my blood sugar wasn't as bad. It was, you know, more tempered. My spike wasn't as high. Then one day, I just randomly decided, hey, you know what? I'm going to re reverse the order. I'm going to eat the same thing, but I'm just going to eat it backwards. So I'll eat the vegetables and the salad first. Then I'm going to eat the meat. And then I'll have the, the rice at the end. Same food, same caloric load, same macros, same everything, but my blood sugar changed again. Mind blown. Right. So it, you really like our understanding of human physiology and metabolic function is still evolving. I still don't understand it fully, and I'm in the space. So God help you know the regular person who's trying to navigate this stuff. It's hard. Yeah. So what zone is what we are to our patients and our customers is that safe pair of hands to help you navigate your own data so that each one of our users can have that kind of like super insightful discovery that my wife and I, and I have, you know, I identified just, you know, so for a month, I actually misbehaved. I wore a CGM and ate all kinds of garbage. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, I was drinking full sugar Coke that I hadn't drank in years, you know, Snickers bars, pineapple juice, different fruits. And I was just trying to see and test my body. Like, how do I react to all these different things? And when you learn the cause and effect, you carry that learning with you forever. Mm -hmm. So like what, you know, I, there are certain foods that I just cut out. Like what? Now here's what's interesting. Like pineapples, mm. for whatever reason, my blood sugar absolutely spikes when I have pineapple. But I also discovered, you know, because in, in my, in, in, in my culture, Bread and rice, central, central to the cuisine. You know, if a, if a dietitian or a nutritionist came and said, Ali, listen, if you want to stay lean, you need to just cut out anything white. White rice, white sugar, bread, forget it. You can never eat it again. My response would be, you know what? Take my arm instead. I'd rather give that up than, than my bread <laughs> and my rice. So I figured out, just by exploring the data and the combinations of food and the order of the food and the timing of food and also how exercise, mm -hmm. a brisk walk after I eat, you know, being well rested the night before, spending 30 minutes in the sauna. I mean, I experimented with all of these things, but I'm admittedly a nerd, right? I'm a bit of a, you know, a data junkie and a nerd. Not everyone has the ability to explore that data, that's what we bring. We bring to our customers this nuance around, well, you know, here's how you should think about it. And let's find, let's find within behaviors that you already consider normal, let's find a path that is sustainable. Yeah. So I'll give you an extreme example of that. My co-founder's father, as I mentioned, poorly controlled diabetic, 
for 20 years. You know, he's already had amputations. He's already had the multiple health conditions that come on the back of diabetes. And his condition has never improved. And for a patient like that, you know, elder, Emirati, um, set in their ways, we, you know, we call that resistant. They're resistant to change because in many ways, it's also, you know what? It's God's will. God wanted me to be this way. I'm just going to enjoy my life. And whenever I go, I go right there. You know, Mm -hmm. if you think about your own parents, there's a lot of that, right? So for patients like that, when they come in, you don't tell them, you, you shouldn't tell them, do this, don't do that. Because people have been telling them, do this, don't do that for 20 years, and they've never listened. So why would they listen to you now? With those kinds of patients, when we engage them, we don't tell them to change anything. We just tell them, collect the data. And then when they come back to us in three months, we then walk them through. We say, hey, listen, you're a creature of habit. We're all creatures of habit. Everyone can be defined by a menu. I can likely, you know, if I follow your eating by food logging for three months, I can say, you know what, Anne-Marie has a menu of 100 food items that she eats on a regular basis, and it explains 80% of her diet. Great. Now that I've understood that, I can say, hey, Anne-Marie, 20% of your foods are the ones causing 80% of your spikes. Let's just agree to move those out. And let's just focus on the 80 foods that you already consider normal, right? And that you love as part of your routine. Let's just focus on those. So it's this way of changing human behavior without making patients uncomfortable, without asking them to do things that we know they're not going to do. You got to be practical about this stuff. Right. Like going for a walk after dinner or changing the order in which you eat your food. Those are things that people can wrap their head around. You cut out all cut out all carbs of your diet, which it doesn't even work for anyone anyway. Okay. I'm super curious. What did your wife eat for dinner? Did she not eat the same thing as you? And what were you eating for breakfast? (laughs) Like you weren't having the problem at breakfast and she wasn't having the problem at dinner. Is that because you guys are different or is it because you were eating differently? Yeah, everyone's metabolic system is different. It's it's so fascinating. But and you honestly, weren't eating all bran and oatmeal, oat milk. I was not. No, no. like you know, my, if I if I ever had, I, I was generally not eating breakfast, so I, I typically intermittent fast. Um, but if I did have breakfast, it would be much more protein based, eggs and so on. So um, that is so different, very different. Yeah. yeah, very different metabolic profile. My, my problem was also portion control. My wife is a, a bit more diligent about what she puts on her plate and, I, and 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 you know she she makes the most delicious food so i just you know used to eat until the point that i was you know going to explode you know right so portion control for me was problematic now getting back to the ozempic yeah. story right that's one of the reasons why these drugs are so powerful they are ozempic is a powerful drug and it's a great drug and we we've been using ozempic for ever since we opened, almost three years on our diabetics. Now, unfortunately, fortunately or unfortunately, Elon Musk tweeted about it and he lost a bunch of weight on it. Kim Kardashian lost half her body weight, whatever, on it. Eminem put Ozempic in one of the lyrics in his rap songs. So Ozempic entered into the sort of TikTok vocabulary and suddenly 
global out of stock. We couldn't even get Ozempic for our diabetics because people were going and buying it off the shelf and medicating themselves. Okay, so what's the problem with that? Crazy. I mean, a lot. Number one, dosage control. There is a science and a protocol around taking patients up a particular dosage curve, how to keep them and maintain them at the maximum dose, and then how to bring them down. What patients are doing, they're like ramping up too quickly and they get hit by really severe side effects. And then the drug doesn't work because they can't deal with the side effects. Or patients at the end will just stop taking, they hit their target weight, they stop the drug, cravings come back. So we've been seeing this as a behavioral pattern and we've learned and tweaked our protocols. So a huge part of using these drugs right is the titration curve of the drug. But more importantly, yeah, go ahead. Well, it doesn't seem like this drug should be off over the counter. It just doesn't seem like it should be. I Because we know what people are like. They hear that you should eat kale and they'll eat like 12 pounds of kale. Like there's always that person yeah. out there who will take the thing you hear that's good for you and multiply it and do it to the max. It just doesn't seem like we should leave it up to the average mortal. I mean, look, it, it seems like all of Hollywood and all the Silicon Valley is on Ozempic. It's, it's all over my TikTok feed. Every other every other post is is this and 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 some of that is you know people getting it right in the pharmacy here you know how it is you can walk in and, and get a script that you probably shouldn't be able to get and that's a question for regulation and that's going to that's going to shake itself out over time but there's also GPs that want to keep their doc their patients happy patient comes in the GP has literally 2 minutes of time to see that patient Patient says, hey, doc, I've heard about Ozempic. GP says, oh, you're, yeah, you could benefit. Here's a prescription. Good luck. I mean, that's unfortunately happens, happening a lot. Mm -hmm. The patients can get it even with a prescription. Now, the other challenge is how much these drugs cost. They're expensive. And they cost four times as much in the U.S. as they do here in the UAE. Mm -hmm. You'll spend $10,000 in six months on one of these drugs. And even if that drug helps you lose 10 kilo, chances are once you come off the drug, you haven't changed your habits. Mm -hmm. You haven't changed your fundamental understanding of your food, diet, you know, exercise and sleep. So you'll rebound almost certainly on some level. And so you've just wasted all of that money and all that resource. What's it like? You know, so like, it's important. It? Oh, sorry. Yeah, I was just saying it's just, it's super important for that drug to be delivered and consumed within an envelope of behavioral change and within an envelope of real good synthesis of the data. So the patient learns and takes that new baseline. Look, I kept the weight off and I did it because I learned what I should eat, how I should eat, how I should sleep. I, I still have a lot to learn. My sleep habits still are terrible. I'm just, that's one thing I'm just not good at being disciplined at, you know, going to bed at a certain time and so on. And the, but, you know, it's, it's a journey for all of us, right? Um, having in your pockets through the app, a whole team at your disposal, right? Our customers can talk to the coach at any time, can ask the doc a question at any time. The comfort that comes with that support and that ecosystem, you know, is really empowering for, for our patients. Now, you, I think you were going to ask, like, what's it like being on the drug? Yeah, what's it like being on? 
kind of sucks, to be honest. Why? I mean, I, 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 there's side effects, right? With any drug. Okay. And people have different degrees of side effects. For me, you know, there was a couple of weeks where I was just knocked out because I wasn't eating. Here, what the drug does, um, so it was invented by Novo Nordisk, uh, which is one of the big pharmaceutical, or they, they were one of the pioneers of it. And it's a diabetes drug. And what it does is it really targets your insulin sensitivity, right? So it's the core of your metabolic engine. It's like tuning the engine of the car. And, and that's important for diabetics. Uh, but there was a couple of side effects that came along with the drug that were not anticipated. One side effect that it, it appears to actually affect your appetite control center in your brain. So it kills your cravings and it kills your appetite. I would literally, when I was on this drug, I would go the entire day not ever thinking of food. It's as if food didn't exist. I didn't need it anymore. It was super weird. Super weird. And then the other thing that happens is that it affects the, the, the speed at which your stomach empties. So you get full a lot faster and you stay full a lot longer. So I would, you know, you know when I did finally remember, oh my gosh, it's 5 p.m. I haven't eaten. I'll sit down with a plate of food, I'll eat half of it, and then the half that remained, it's almost as if the food revolted me at that point. Wow. Like I, I physically couldn't bring the spoon to my mouth. It was the weirdest feeling. Wow. And I've talked to a lot of patients and that's a common kind of experience. You know, this feeling of not being hungry, which is great. Like I, I snacked a lot and I overate a lot and it tackled those two things head on. But then there was also a bit of nausea, a bit of discomfort. So I had a couple of weeks where I was just tired a lot because I wasn't eating, right? It really, it's almost as if you end up with like forced caloric restriction. And at the end of the day, losing weight ultimately is about eating less, honestly. Like you strip away all the noise, but most of us don't have the willpower to do that on our own. Um, the benefit of the drug, in addition to the caloric restriction, is this tuning of the engine, the calibration of your metabolic chain, so to speak. Okay. That is super interesting. Okay. So zone is turning around pre-diabetes, getting people back on the track to health, but what sort of a price situation are we talking about here? Cause I'm sure people are listening and thinking I'll never be able to afford this. Can you just join for 90 days to turn it around? Is this something you have to do forever? How does it sort of work? Yeah. So some people are getting on it and staying on it forever because they're afraid of what happens when they come off. Mm -hmm. That shouldn't be the case. Ideally, what you want is a very targeted intervention, time limited with the drug, and then have the behavioral change stuff take over and kind of be the long-term sustainable um, a piece of it. Um, so you don't want to get saddled with that cost forever because they're expensive. So cost of the drug um, in the UAE is anywhere between sort of 12, 1300 dirhams for Ozempic, all the way up to like 1700 dirhams a month for Monjaro. In the US, it's about three to four times that. So in excess of 14, $1,500 a month, that, that'll add up. Um, so what we try to do is, you know, we start off patients with a month of just data analysis. We don't put them on the drug at first. We just give them a CGM. So we start that learning journey first and we set the baseline and we help the patient understand why and when their blood sugar is spiking. Because once you go on the drug, it's all, your blood sugar will flatline because you're not eating anything. 
So you lose the ability to actually understand the, the movement of the data right. because the data is not moving anymore. Mm -hmm. Right. So what we try to do is sort of, and the doctor will do this, you'll do this with your physician, is, is, is make the titration curve. You don't want to take a patient up too fast. If you do, the likelihood for the sort of stomach pain, nausea, side effects is higher. So you want to gradually take that patient up to a tolerable dose. And then on the back end, you'll want to titrate that, that medication down. That titration should be done under the supervision of, of a patient. Uh, the cost of the program is, is, is reasonable considering the cost of the drug. And most of the cost of the program is in the cost of the drug. So zone is a $29.95 flat fee monthly, which gives you effectively unlimited access to the care team. It also, we send uh, a nurse to your house. We take your blood, that blood gets analyzed and it's a full metabolic panel. You know, it's, it's similar to what you might get done you know, at American hospital or city hospital as part of your annual health check, which they'll, you know, charge you four to 6,000 dirhams for. But we, we do that, you know, at the beginning and we do that at the end so that we can show you, here's where you started, here's where you ended, here's your improvement. So both of those is kind of a home test. You don't have to leave. Once the labs are done, you have a consultation with the physician, you run through your full medical history, you know, and that's also important. We need to know what other drugs you're taking, what other medical problems you've had, what family history you have, and so on. And then, and then you are assigned a coach, and that coach becomes your daily driver. Wow. Right? And that coach is always accessible to you. And that coach is seeing your data when you see your data. So you take a snapshot of your, of your lunch, and, and then your blood sugar spikes, and your coach can come and say, hey, Anne-Marie, look, you, know, you just had this like, bowl of pasta. Let's take a look at this. Let's make this a teachable moment for you. Because okay. yeah, I noticed you love pasta. Well, let's figure out what you can eat with pasta. So tomorrow, try having this pasta, but have a big bowl of salad before. Let's see how that changes things. Okay. Right? So, so that's it. If, if a patient has insurance, we can work with their insurance companies on a case-by-case -case basis because insurance companies, unfortunately, in the region don't consider obesity as a disease and they don't pay for it the drugs or the treatments. So most of it is a cash payment, you know, but in the cases where people have insurance coverage, we can try to offset some of the costs for either the drug or the, or the care model itself and bring down the cost um, if, there's, if there's an insurance component. And what if the person has, oh, first of all, you don't have to take a Ozempic if you do zone health. That's just a part of, that's, no. that's an add-on sort of thing. Like if, if they're bigger yeah. than us, it's concerned. Okay. Yeah. You can do just, you know, the CGM plus the, uh, the coaching. Yeah. You just have someone overseeing. What if there's other issues? Like say someone has a fatty liver or someone has like a thyroid problem. How involved are you there? So, so if someone has other medical conditions that require treatment, that's the huge benefit of GluCare being zoned sister company. It's under the same platform called Metabolic. And if someone's got fatty liver, what we would want to do is have that person come into the clinic. We have an AI-powered ultrasound that specifically does fatty liver screening and quantification. So we'll do that screen. We'll assess the degree of fatty liver and... And that, for the most part, is covered by insurance. So because we have both the zone program and a hardcore medical clinical platform, GluCare, we're able to work with patients' insurance companies if they need more. If they need to do, for example, a cardiac stress test, we can do that. 
you know, if they need a thyroid nodule screening, we can do that. So that becomes just a conversation between the, the, the customer and the physician based on the patient's medical history. The physician can say, well, I think we should also explore these three things. Then we check with their insurance coverage. We get that covered. And, uh, and, and by and large, we have most insurance companies in network covered with us. Okay. Well, that said, Zoom is not meant to be just for UAE patients or Dubai patients. So, you know, Zone is offered. We can we can offer Zone technically anywhere in the world. We obviously need to make sure that we adhere to whatever local medical data privacy and prescription laws there are. Okay. Um, but you know, for patients in Saudi, for example, what we might do is then you know if they have further concerns about thyroid or liver, we might just you know, um, re refer them to a, rep a reputable clinic, you know, close to where they live. Okay. Well, I know where I'm coming because next week I'm getting all my blood work. I'm 52 and uh, we'll see. And I know where I'm coming <laughs> if Perfect. I have the dreaded pre-diabetes. We'll see. <laughs> Thank yeah, you. Yeah. Well, the good news is the good news is pre-diabetes is entirely reversible. It's entire with the right support, the right intervention. It's, it's super reversible. And, and it can be done really quickly. Like most of our pre-diabetics, we reverse them in three months. This is a tragedy when you think about that. When you think about the fact that it's that easy to turn a train around, to turn the, tr the truck around and get going in the right direction. And so that's what you guys are doing is great. Turning it around. Thank you. Yeah. It's, yeah. So we still have a lot to learn. And in a, a lot of ways, we can be of additional service to our community and to our customers. But you know, it's a great start. The team is doing fantastic work. You know, we've gotten great support from journalists like you and from the ecosystem and people who really yes. see the value and, and identify with it. I mean, we're really doing things differently here. Yeah. Um, part of the problem is, is the insurance companies, to be honest. There's a reason why no one is tackling pre-diabetes because it's not profitable to do so. Diabetics are really profitable patients. So if you want to be cynical about it, there's a reason why nobody knows that their insurance plan includes an annual diabetes screen fully paid for. Every single insurance plan in the UAE by government regulation is required to have either an annual or every three-year pre-diabetes screen done. And no one knows because the insurance companies generally don't tell people about it. The last thing an insurance company wants is to find by screening a pre-diabetic because then they have to treat that person, which means they have to spend the money. That's the link that I haven't been able to put together because I'm like, surely insurance companies would want people to be healthier so they wouldn't have to pay for them when they're sick, but they just don't want to know about it altogether. They just... <laughs> yeah, follow, follow the money, so to speak. The, 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 pri the primary problem is the fact that most insurance contracts are only 12 months long. Mm. So you will not benefit from the long-term return on investment in, re in reversing prediabetes. In my case, okay, I'm now 47. Um, had I not reversed my prediabetes and lost all this weight, with almost 100% certainty, I would have eventually progressed and become a diabetic. And the difference in lifetime costs is a half a million dollars. Half a million dollars of total lifetime spend comparing a diabetic and a non-diabetic, okay? 
So by investing a few thousand dollars in CGM drugs and the therapies, I saved a hundred times that. The problem is it's way off in the future. Mm. And my insurance company, if they would have spent the money to reverse my prediabetes, would have seen none of it because I'm still to them a healthy 47 year old. I don't cost them. I'm a very profitable patient because I don't have any real, I don't go to the hospital. I don't go to the doctor. I'm not a burdensome patient. I'm very profitable. Yeah. So that's, and that's a whole nother conversation for another podcast. It's all rigged. I I would say it's rigged, but that's, that's kind of how the ecosystem has evolved. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and for better or worse, you know, it's people like us have to challenge that and, and, and force it to change. Mm-hmm. And that's, uh, you know, beyond zone, beyond glue care, beyond the companies that we're building, our long-term vision, you know, is, is, is actually changing the system itself. And hopefully, you know, if we get, if this resonates with people and we get a lot of customers, that in and of itself will send a signal to the insurance industry that they've got to think about things differently. And we, all are, we need individuals need to start playing the long game for ourselves. It's just we're, when we're yeah. short-sighted, right? Like this is, this is where all the problems come. Okay. I could talk to you all day, but yeah, well, I'd love to talk to you again about it. Thank you so much. And congratulations on your weight Thank loss. You. It looked good before and after. Okay. I'm not going to fat right. shame. Fat <laughs> shame. <laughs> okay. No, that's all good. Thank you thanks. so much. Thanks for spending the time. Appreciate yeah, it. Yeah. Thanks. Take care. That's it for this week. If you liked the podcast, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review. We'll see you next time on the Live Healthy Podcast.